Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 11-21-2021, and we're continuing where we left off in our service with the thought of the week and prayer. We will continue. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. This is where God found us. We were not surprised or protected for God. The only focus here is what God sees as most important. It does not spend time talking about the things we would like to say about ourselves. It doesn't talk about degrees attained, race or class, in which we happen to be born. It doesn't talk about the family lineage or past accomplishments. While all these things may be important to us, they do not matter to God. When it comes to matter of salvation and our life and our new life, in this state of death, we are only qualified for one thing, grace. In this state, it doesn't matter if you have to be a Jew or Gentile. The same condition exists. It is not a matter of race, culture, or experience. It doesn't matter which we must accept or start reality of God. Few of us. I like God approach here. He doesn't talk to sugarcoat it. He says he says what he means in the very first sentence. In the very first I'm sorry, the very first attention. Am I right? Mm. I like God approach. He does not try to sugarcoat it. He says what he needs in the very first attention is on their every word. Uh-huh. If the prognosis was that, I'm sorry. Now read that again. Could you read? That, could you read that again from sugar sugarcoat from sugarcoat? Okay, it says that what he means the very first attention is on their is on their every word. If the prognosis was that you would die in three days, you would want to know that, wouldn't you? When it comes to our hopeless condition before God, it is certainly bad news. Our condition is hopeless because we don't have the ability to fix it. However, God has to answer. It is called the good news. Then God, God had the answer for that, to call the good news. The good news is that would you believe in Christ or wouldn't you? The bad news is you reject Christ, you're still in Adam, and then you are you're dead in your transgression and sin still. So God has given us a choice to use our free will to either believe in Christ or reject him. Hopefully that everyone who hears the gospel will, will believe in Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit to convict our heart and that we were uh, he will allow us to believe in Christ. And that's the only way for the good news to be accepted in God's provision. This take the first thought of the week. So at this time, we have the wife give us the leadership to prayer. All right. Thank you very much, Dave. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, that is a considerable thing to consider, that we are dead. And we were dead in our transgressions and sins. 
Um, I'm just going to go ahead and dive into the prayer for the sake of time. Um, God knows the thoughts that we have in our hearts for others. So let us bow our heads before God. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this time that we have to come together to share um, and growing in the truth and the prayer that is Jesus through the word. Um, you know all the and we pray for everybody. Um, in particular, I remember we were praying for Dave's daughter, um, praying for the families of Kenneth and Gail, and um, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, wherever there is you know, suffering, hardships, um, we pray that there would be endurance and thanksgiving. Um, this is, there is so much evil in this world, Father, but there is joy in knowing Christ Jesus. And I pray that our hearts might be engaged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the wisdom and knowledge. And I pray that you would utilize your structures and organizations that you have created on this earth, the roles that you have given us to fill in both the church worldwide, which is the body of Christ, as well as our local implementations here, Word of Truth Christian Church. And we thank you also for giving us um, the motivation and encouragement we needed to stretch ourselves and come out of our comfort zone so that we can coordinate with you and serve you in your desire that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And I pray that our hearts would be focused on each and every word that comes out of your mouth, for it is not on bread alone that we, um, that man shall live, but on the very words um, that proceed from your mouth. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thanks to Dwight and Dave. We appreciate that and um, we are going to continue where we left off hopefully you have your notes we are in the notes here and it's John 17 3 now this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent the richness of this prayer is not only found by examining what Jesus said to the Father, but also to step back and see Jesus' perspective. We find that his understanding of his role in the plan is confirmation of the plan for us. He is mission-oriented and filled with love's devotion and commitment, which motivated him to fulfill the plan. Through this, the Father would be able to accomplish the goal of the plan for all things, which involves us in this most critical age. Quote, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That comes from Colossians 2, 2 and 3. 
So we have uh, John 17, 3 before us. We have Jesus praying to his Father. And we, you know, if we could just say, if I could just be like a fly on the wall and hear the conversation in the room, well, now you are there. With the word of God and the spirit of truth, he has brought you <clears throat> information you could never know or have by here giving us the prayer of Jesus, not only on behalf of what his thoughts are, but intercessory prayer on behalf of his disciples who are going to be left here for the foundation of the church, as well as for us who will believe on him through their word. And we're going to be one body. So we have, we have that as valuable information uh, for those of us who are in the church, as well as vital information and confirmation, as we said earlier. So let's dig into this verse. It looks like a small verse, but there's a lot in here. Let's, let's try to unpack it. Uh, the first phrase is, now this is eternal life. So first thought is, while we did cover eternal life uh, in the previous verse, there is still more to discuss around this point. <clears throat> and that's where we are. We're trying to discuss that more so we can understand from Jesus' perspective uh, about eternal life. A previous uh, verse said, <clears throat> you, have given, you have granted him authority over all flesh to give us eternal life to those you have given to him. And we covered that last week and understood what it meant. But now our focus is also to continue this thought about eternal life and all that uh, Jesus sees in it from his perspective as well. So let's dig in. Let's see what it is. Um, point B, from Jesus' perspective, uh, and this is from his perspective. As Jesus prays to the Father, he is going to discuss the intimacy that he knows and enjoys. Uh, we think about that. We said last time <clears throat> that eternal life was also God's life. And for God to share his life with us or grant to us the gift of eternal life would be to open up and share his fellowship, his communion, our intimacy with God. So we are seeing that is true for Christ as well. And so it, these are some points to consider as we think about this from Jesus' perspective. One, Jesus has never been lost. Think about this. <clears throat> he is never, like we, we need salvation because of what happened uh, the bad news in Adam. We were born dead, as we uh, Dave read in the thought of the week. We were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live. We followed the ways of this world, the ruler who is the kingdom of the air. All of us were by nature deserving of wrath. I mean, we, 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 we didn't read the whole verse in the thought of the week, but we just got that one point that we were dead. And this is how God found us. But this is not Jesus' life. Jesus did not have to 
experience the bad news. And the point goes on and says, is point number one, even though God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21, the first part of it. The second part talks about how we receive his righteousness. So first of all, Christ wasn't made sin for us from the standpoint of his own sin. He was, was not condemned because of his own sin. He was, and the sins of the world were imputed to him, and they could not have been imputed to him if he were a sinner or if he had sinned. So he did not experience the same things that we do. And thank God he is qualified to be the savior of the world and to bear our sins. Like Peter says, he bore our sins in his own body on the cross. So that's important uh, to note as we think about that as point number two. Uh, if Jesus, um, he, he wasn't lost uh, like we were. So point number two is if Jesus is discussing, and E-L means eternal life, and we're just saving some typing here. <clears throat> if Jesus is discussing eternal life from his perspective, he is reminded of the intimacy it brings him fellowship and communion with the Father. And this is a big deal for Christ. I mean, his whole life on earth uh, was about revealing the Father. And he talked about, I'm here not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I'm here. Uh, the words I speak are not just my words. They're, they're the Father's words. He's the one who's telling me what to say and how to say it. So you could imagine all the teaching that came from Christ really was the Father's teaching. Even the teaching to Israel was the Father's teaching. And But when he turned and started teaching the church, he certainly was talking about the Father's eternal purpose. So um, the intimacy, even when the disciples, he says, you're all going to flee and Leave me alone. He said, but I'm not going to be alone because the Father is with me. So he's, there was a, a fellowship, a, a communion of, of the Father and the Son. And this intimacy and fellowship is what Jesus thinks about as he's praying to the Father. He's thinking and, uh, you know, he's, he's in prayer. He's really not facing the disciples. You know, this is not a prayer that some people pray, that is really for us. You know, they touch on all the bases and they say all the right things and, and we feel good that this person is praying on our behalf. But really, the focus of Jesus' prayer is the Father. While we, he's definitely covering the disciples' bases, no doubt, he is focused, his perspective is to talk to the Father. And just understanding how he talks to the Father. Like, what would he say to the Father? You know, we get so much value from just looking at how Jesus addresses the Father and, and how he sees the Father's plan and so forth. All of that is valuable information. So, point two, again, if Jesus is discussing eternal life from his perspective, which he is, he is reminded of the intimacy it brings him. It's important. 
as he walked this earth, you know, what the fellowship and communing with the Father was all about. That was important to Jesus. And just imagine how important that is for Jesus. It is also important for us. And we go through a lot of things in this world. And there's suffering. And we know not only have we suffered in the past, but it is ahead of us as well. But don't we want to go through all of that with the communion and fellowship that is so rich that John says he wants us to have that make our joy complete? Point number three. This intimacy between the Father and the Son has always existed. We should know that. This is not something that began when um, he was... Uh, made flesh, as it says in John 1.14, and made his dwelling among us, meaning uh, his human dwelling among us. Christ came and, as as Old Testament way of saying it, and tabernacled with us. Well, John 1, 1 through 3 brings a lot of this out. Let's just review it really quickly. I know we've covered it in many times. But it says, in the beginning was the word, meaning This beginning is not the beginning of the Word. He already was there. And the Word was with God. So this phrase right here implies fellowship, face-to-face with God. Now, who's God? God the Father here. So the Word and God the Father are two different personalities. One was with the other. So nobody would say this of themselves. They, They say, where were you? I was with me. Well, that doesn't make sense. Uh, If God and the Word are the same, it would not make sense. Obviously, the, the Word here, as we know from verse 14, is Jesus Christ. But this is before he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But he was also with God, and this is at a point in time called the beginning. Uh, so the beginning, they were there. And it would make sense that they were there because if they were going to create all things, they would need a plan, right? It wasn't just, well, one day they woke up and said, let's create all things. No, there was a plan. So, of course, they were there. And, of course, they were uh, having close-to-close, face-to-face fellowship with each other. Certainly, that was so. And it says, and the word was God. So, God not only can refer to a nature, in other words, a person, a person's nature, but it can also refer to a person here. And when it uses the definite article in front of God, which it does, so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with, and we don't see it in, in the Greek here, but it's there is a definite article. The Word was with the God. So it's not just God. It's the God. So in particular... One is distinguished who has this nature of God, and that is the Father. And the Word was God. No definite article under the second God there. So why no definite article? The absence of the definite article emphasizes the quality of the noun. So it's saying that the Word was essentially, in essence, God. Theos. So when it says that, it's literally saying they both had the nature of God, but they are two separate and distinct persons. I hate to say separate, 
because <laughs> they were with, one with each other in how they managed and thought about things, right? But this is how it's presented to us. But we're trying to identify that there are two separate and distinct persons, but they are on the same page. And they are both God. They both have the nature of God. Point uh, verse 2. So he was with God in the beginning. So who's he? He's the word. And again, we have that with, prosopon, which means face-to-face with God in the beginning. And that that is important for us to understand that this beginning does not mean the beginning of them. It is just a beginning that we are privy to because it is important to us with respect to creation. And then we're getting that from uh, the next verse. Through him, through who? Through the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So to our point, this intimacy with the Father and the Son, it always existed. So we saw that, um, John 1, 1 through 3. And we saw how the Word, through the Word, and part of His role in the Father's eternal purpose was to create all things. And then we also have verse 18, which is another interesting verse, where it says, No one has ever seen God. And this is seen, is not just like with the naked eye, like, you know, a spaceship is going up and you see it, or there's a comet, or you know, you see the eclipse or, or something. This is <clears throat> with understanding, right? They, they have never fully understood God. And part of this is a result of the fact that God hid some things from hu- the human uh, understanding and things that they would not have understood and things that were not known to them. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God, again, the same thing we just read in verse 1, there's confirmation of it here in verse 18, that we're talking about two persons who have the nature of God. So this verse says it so plainly and straight out. Listen, it says, but the one and only Son, okay, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So through Christ, we can know God. What do we mean, know God? Now we can understand that there is a God? No. (laughs) That there's a God, the Father? No. That we can know the Father's plan through Christ. We couldn't possibly know it. But through Christ, now that Christ has come, now that the time has fully come, God is able to bring forth his sons. This is in Galatians 4, 4. It says, when the time is, was right, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might uh, attain to the full rights of sons. And that's, so we got a redemption purpose in that verse in, in uh, Galatians 4, 4. And we also have God's eternal purpose spelled out for us plainly in that verse. So you have two things right there that are very important. I could have included that. That would have been kind of neat for us to include that. But um, So this is in point three where we're just understanding the intimacy between the Father and the Son, how it always existed. This is We're back to our notes. 
Point number four in our notes, Jesus loves the Father. Now, this, this is just some of the things to think about when we think about Jesus' perspective. Right? Like, what is, he's praying to the Father, but all of these things are part of his thinking and how his approach to God um, should be. He's just, so, these are just some things. Jesus loves the Father. We know what that involves. Is obedient to the Father's plans. That's a result of having love, commitment, motivation. Right, devotion to, to the Father's plan. He, he knows the Father, trusts the Father. So knows the Father is part of uh, the identity that he has, he's always had, because this is the plan that he himself knows of the Father. And I used to say already, when somebody says, you know the Father, what does that mean? Does it mean something silly like, do you know what color of socks the Father has on? Do you know what... Uh, where the father goes and and what he likes to do and all those things are not consequential for us to know the father what is important for us when we talk about knowing the father it is about knowing his plan that is what jesus is focused on so it is not the individual idiosyncrasies of the father it is about the father's eternal purpose all of this revolves around the plan so we, we should stop thinking like we know each other. Like, oh, I know, I know Bill. I know what he likes to do. I know Dave. I know what he likes to do. I know what's interesting about Dave. But the focus of this, knowing each other, is intimate knowledge and your role in the Father's plan. That's what you have to think about. So that's, Jesus loves the Father. Is obedient to the Father's plan, knows the Father, trusts the Father. He prays to the Father, enjoys the Father. Now this enjoys the Father goes back to the intimacy and the fellowship and the communing and the, 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 the presence. He, he understands the presence of the Father in his life. The Father is in Christ and Christ is in the Father. They have surrendered themselves to each other. Christ has surrendered his earthly life on earth to, to the Father to do whatever he wants to do with it. And the Father has surrendered his eternal purpose and has put all things on the shoulders of Christ in order to fulfill it. And, and, and is one with the Father and has sacrificed all for the Father. Christ held nothing back. He says, all I have belongs to the Father. And all the Father has belongs to me. He says it in those ways. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That mutual possession is, is related to how each of them are able to fully give themselves to the other. And this is all accomplished by means of what the Holy Spirit has done. If we think about how it happens for us, it happens as the Holy Spirit baptized, baptizes us into the person of Christ. So now we're identified with him in everything he is and has. And so we can do the exchange, whereas because of that, we now can sacrifice ourselves here on earth for Christ, right? It is like Paul says, I'm crucified, but... The life I live here on earth, on the ground, is by faith in the, in the Son of God. 
who loved me and gave himself for me. So we now have the opportunity to live for Christ in that way. It's a sacrifice because we're giving up ourself. Right? And really, we died, right? <laughs> properly speaking. We are not, even though we choose to live our own life and by our own dictates, really that's a wrong way to think about it because uh, we died. And the life we have now is hidden with Christ in God, says Colossians chapter 3. So you could live a lie, which is, uh, you know, to try to live a, a life that was dead, a life that was surrendered, uh, that God took actually when we were redeemed. Or we, we could try to live that dead life, or we could live for Christ, like Paul's saying. He says, I'm still alive, but the life I live in the flesh is, is by the dictates of Christ. Just like Christ, when he was here, he lived by the dictates of the Father. And we have the same union with Christ as Christ had with the Father. And later we'll see that Christ does bring us all together, not only reconcile us in terms of salvation, but reconcile us in terms of the fact that we are one as he is one. And, he, and here he's talking about the Father. As they are one, we have that same relationship. Well, let's see. Um, this is point number four we just read. He enjoys, he's one with the Father, he sacrificed all for the Father. And when we say for the Father, we mean, as I said before, for the Father's plan. For the Father's plan. Point number five. From eternal life, all things we can also share with, with the Father. All things we can also share with the Father. That's point number five. And um, this, this is part of like what the Father has sh shared with the Son. Where the, where the Father says to Christ, all things I have are given to you. And what, is, what does he mean by all things? Um, he's, the, the fact that we have eternal life, all the things that Christ, the Father shared with Christ are now a part of our experience. That's important to us now. So I don't know if I, I didn't put a scripture with that, but really the scripture would be somewhere in 1 Corinthians. I think I did include it later in our study, but if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, we have that where he says, all things are yours, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or, you know, things to come, present, future. So all things are yours and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So that, you know, we have re received eternal life just like everybody in the human race has received eternal life. But everybody in the human race was not chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So that's something to think about. How the Father chose us. And we can share all things because whatever Christ has, whatever the Father shared with Christ, he shared with us. That's getting into that mutual possession. If you're not sure what that is, we sure have talked about it a lot. And there's a lot in the discourse that we had to bring out about mutual possession. Point C, 1C, we're only on point 1. 
So we have to keep moving. Point 1C, Jesus will discuss the reconciliation that eternal life brings with the Father. He will discuss it. What do we mean by that? That's 2 Corinthians 5.18. Let's look at that. 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, point C is saying Jesus will discuss the reconciliation that eternal life brings with the Father. So, if you think about the things that we have as a result of us having eternal life in this particular age, is one, it's about salvation. Salvation is the same as reconciliation. If we think about reconciliation from we were in Adam, and then there's God the Father, right? So how can we be reconciled? How can we be saved? Well, it is through the work of Christ on our behalf that we are reconciled. We have eternal life. So God is saying, I will share my life with you if you believe in Christ. So, uh, well, not only we have the life, but we also have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That means that we can now go out and help God uh, to bring lost people who are not reconciled to, through the person of Christ, to be reconciled to God the Father. When, when we say that, we're not only talking about salvation, but we're talking about this special age in which we live. But primarily, it's a, before somebody can experience this the glories of what the church age is, they must be saved. And, and in that order, they have to, first things first, you've got to be saved before you can even talk about such things. I like the verse in 1 Timothy 2, where it says, um, it is God's will that all men be saved, one, and then to come, to, it doesn't say and then, but and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So that's two. So we got two things that are important and, and in that order. You can't just start talking about the deep things of God, the meat of the word, all this. You've got to talk about salvation. And it's like saying, I can grow up before I'm even born. You can't. You've got to be born before you can grow up. And um, so that's important. So eternal life with the Father, right? It, he discusses what's in that eternal life. And earlier he said, and you have granted me to give eternal life to his, all those you have given me. And, and then point D, we're going, going ahead in our notes. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So again, uh, this is eternal life. All of this has to do with us having eternal life. We have it, but we are therefore, this is verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. What does it mean? We are Christ's ambassadors. Uh, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So no, notice, we are not Christ's ambassadors to do as we please, 
it is there is a distinct and specific message that we are to carry when it comes to being ministers of reconciliation or in other words Christ's ambassadors there's a distinct message that we have god is the one making his appeal but he's able to do it also through us who else is he doing it through he's doing it through the spirit the spirit's ministry right the spirit of truth right what christ says in john 16:8 through 11 he says when he comes he will convince the world of sin reprove the world of sin of righteousness of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me and there's other righteousness because i go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is now stands condemned All right so those are the things the holy spirit is working on the masses of unregenerated humanity but we have a ministry who's we we who are saved and have eternal life so not only does we have fellowship communion with god and we're enjoying all that but god is saying uh, i'm giving you a ministry and the ministry is uh, where you are able to be my ambassadors to reconcile people back to the father now not only is this reconciling people back to the father but this hails back to verse 17 because you are campaigning or uh, trying to help people understand this point in 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. All of this new creation was not known to men in other generations as it is now made known through the God's holy apostles and prophets in this age. It was hidden in God. This new creation. Nobody knew it would exist. But the new creation has, has come. And anybody who's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. We're here. And we are not only helping people uh, receive eternal life or being reconciled to the Father, but in this special age, people can be joined to the church. It's a part of the church. That's unique. That is unprecedented in human history until now in this age. And it will not continue forever. There's going to be a point in time when the door for the church is closed. So we're ambassadors for Christ. Campaigning for the new creation. And that's who we are in Christ. We're a new creation. So, continuing in our notes, we're Christ's ambassadors, but we're headed to point number two now that says, now this is eternal life. And point number two is that they know you, the only true God. This is where uh, Jesus is uh, speaking to God the Father. Notice he says he is the only true God. Now let's understand what that means. So that they may know you. So I'm focused on know you. So Jesus' intimacy with the Father is not only related to salvation and reconciliation, but a closeness to the Father that, on, that is only revealed in this church age. And we already saw that in John 1.18, which we should review again. It's important to... this. It's not just 
reconciliation to all mankind. It's not just about salvation. It's about this intimacy. And this is what Jesus says. No one has ever seen God. And we saw what that meant. But the only, but the one and only Son, the unique Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So, not to be confused about all this. Like in John 1, 1, we saw in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all of that. But now we're seeing, verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son, one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And now when we read in 18, no one has ever seen God. So whatever was happening... In John 1, 1, when Jesus, well, we, which was called, he was called the Word then. When the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is before creation began, because that was the beginning it's referring to. Then that is when the Father was planning his eternal purpose for all things. That is when he was calling out those many sons in the glory. Now, I want you to look at this for yourself. Go back to John 1.1 1, 1 and see yourself in this verse. In the beginning was the, was the Word, and the Word was with God. What were they doing face to face? Just having coffee? Like me? No. They were planning the Father's eternal purpose. Christ steps up in verse 3 and has a role to create all things. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. Everything that was made, Christ created. But that was part of his role in the plan. So guess what in the beginning was at a point when God the Father had already chosen us to be in Christ. And, and now Christ is getting ready to execute the plan, the first phase of the plan was to create all things. This includes angels as well. So that's the first phase of the plan. So where were you in this verse? You were there in the mind of God because he chose you in him before the creation of the world. We saw that in Ephesians 1, 4. He chose you in him before the creation of the world. So what were they doing? They obviously were talking about that as well as the execution which happened in verse 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. So we're talking about the very life, the spark of life, is in Christ. Every person that comes into the world, Christ has to create that life. He is the very source of life for all human beings. So this is very unique in, in its own right when we think about how to put these verses together and see it. So... So to know you, Jesus, this is back to the notes, Jesus' intimacy with the Father is not only related to salvation and reconciliation, but a closeness to the Father that is only revealed in this church age. And I hope 
you can understand that from verse 18, where it says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relation, bosom relations. Like it's, The word is like he is able to lean on the Father's chest. If the Father had a chest, he doesn't. But that is the relationship. It's close and he's right next to his bosom with the Father and has made him known. The only way to know the Father is through Christ. That's it. it can't, you can't find out this information in any other way. No one has ever seen this information. Point to be, that closeness is also described in terms of the Father's plan to bring many sons into glory. So all of this was planned before time began. Time was creation. Before, as we said, when we were in John 1.1, we were there when God was thinking about all of this. And his goal was to bring many sons into glory. Nobody knew this, right? Even when he created the earth and Adam and the woman and all of that, none of this information was known. Nobody knew that we would be conformed to the image of his son. If the Bible was written in chronological order. Now, we can't even say chronological order because chronological, it speaks of time. But this information properly goes before time. So if we were to chronologically at least know what we can know from eternity past, we can know that God had a plan and that we were a definite part of that plan. He chose us in him before all of this began. So we, this wisdom that was being talked about between the members of the Trinity before time began is the wisdom that we now are privy to, which says in 1 Corinthians 2, 7. It says this wisdom, it was a mystery, which God destined for our glory before time began, 1 Corinthians 2, 7. So we should know, as we think about this, that chronologically speaking, even though it's before time, that we were talked about and then God decided he wasn't going to tell anybody about this, but he would wait to reveal it when the time was right. As we said in Galatians 4.4, time was right. God says, okay, I'm bringing forth my son. And then after he does the redemption part plan, I'm going to now open, you know, reveal the whole thought of the intents of my heart to the world and to those who I called before time began. So it's described, this closeness, this is point B, this closeness is described in terms of the Father's plan to bring many sons into glory. So there's, there's an intimacy around this information which was hidden, which was private to God. If he didn't tell anybody, it was private, it was personal, even though it preceded what he did come along and tell people. So in order of understanding, this goes way before all of that. Point C, the plan is realized through Christ fulfilling his mission and the Holy Spirit's coming, right? That's, as we said, Christ's mission first happened when 
he was the word. Remember, he created all things. That got the ball rolling. That was the first thing in terms of execution that God did. And it was through the person of Christ or the word as he was known there in John 1.1 to create all things. And if you go to Colossians, there's he created all things. It was, all things were created by him and for him and so forth. All of that speaks to the Father's plan. So the plan was realized through Christ, fulfilling his mission and the Holy Spirit's coming, right? And that's, we're talking Pentecost. This has been Jesus's major point in the discourse. So if we, we know that he was talking about the disciples, when we read John 17, 20 and 21, we know that this is where Jesus is going. Because here, after he finishes discussing the foundation of the church, then he, he, he turns and extends it to us. He says, my prayer, verse uh, 20, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So, so here, it's not just people in the past who will believe. It's people who will believe. In other words, after uh, you're established, right? You're in the church. Now, people, you go out and you tell others about the church. And they will believe in me through, through your message. Why? Remember, we are ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. And now God does the heavy lifting. All we do is tell people of the good news. You know, they have to be aware, made aware of the bad news, but then we can tell them the good news. When they believe in Christ, God has already done the heavy lifting. He has already chosen them in Christ before the creation of the world. Not, he didn't choose them for salvation. He chose them to be sons. To be sons who are brought into glory. We're going to be discussing what these sons are, what the properties of them are, what, what are their capabilities. I mean, on and on. we got plenty to discuss. But right now, in our context, we're seeing this. Now, what do we mean? Are we sure it's just verse 21, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So he gives us an example of what he means by one. He's not just saying one in unity. Like we all say the same thing. He's saying there's a dynamic going on in each of us who hear this message in this age. Because this baptism of the Spirit is what happens where we are taken out of Adam, baptized into Christ. So now we are one with him. He is in us. We are in him. And then he's saying that that kind of one is the same father, right? This is father just as, in the same way as you are in me and I am in you. Now this next phrase should properly blow your mind <laughs> it should because we've been le learning all about the baptism of the spirit and its effects but jesus is praying to the father now he's not telling trying to teach us something about he's teaching us what he knows he's talking from his perspective and he says may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent, have sent me now that next phrase, may they also be in us. So not only is our relationship with Christ, 
he's in us and we are in him. But now that relationship is extended to the Father. Not only is what Christ had was he is in the Father and the Father's in him, but now may they also be in us. May both of them. Now all of us are one. So it's just like what Christ said uh, in John 14. If we go back to 20 through 23, we've read that. It was very uh, intriguing for us as we got to these verses. On verse 20, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Wow. So, so we saw that. Jesus was t trying to tell him, believe me when I tell you I'm in the Father. Right? Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who, who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Well, we know what Judas said in verse 22, right? How is this going to work? Verse 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. And here it is. We will come to them and make our home with them. So our relationship with Jesus is extended to our relationship with the person of the Father. Hence, we have almost every one of Paul's letters, almost, I don't know if it is everyone, I'd have to check, but almost every one of Paul's letters begins with some sort of phrase acknowledging the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. You can read it for yourself. Every opening phrase of Paul's books, glory be grace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, uh, praise be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, on and on. We now have both of those entities, both of those persons with whom we are uh, praised and glory, glorying in, and that's the Father. But why? Because they're a part of who we are now. They're a part of our relationship. So back to our notes, that's point to be, if you're there following me, point to see. This plan is realized through Christ fulfilling his mission and the Holy Spirit's coming. Now think about that. If Christ hadn't fulfilled his mission, then none of this could have been a part of um, the Father's plan. It could not have gone forward without Christ fulfilling the Father's plan. It's a major point in this discourse, right? This, it's important that we see it this way. And then point D, uh, the only true God, right? When we think about the only true God, the phrase that they may know you, the only true God. Let's think about that phrase for a minute. The Father is the only true God, right? If we, that's what Jesus said. I am just repeating that. This Does this make Jesus and the Holy Spirit less than God? Now, I would say, of course, on the surface of this, no. Not all the stuff we've already learned about God, and we went through John 1.1 and Philippians and all that. We, we, we've covered a lot of ground, so we can answer this question and say, no. This, but why is Jesus calling the Father the only true God here? And we want to look at some reasoning around that. And it makes a lot of sense. It, let's just look at it. And just to note, some uh, religious organizations, because of scriptures like this, or at least the way it is said here, think, ah, so the Father is truly God, but Jesus is not. He's not really God. Right? 
He's just acting on behalf of God or something. He's not. His, essentially, he is not God, right? This is how they see it, even though it flies in the face of many of the scriptures we have already uh, said, just come right out and call Jesus God. Look at John 1.18. Look at John 1.1 and 2. I mean, it's just unbelievable to think that, but yet some people have come to those conclusions. And those those religious organizations have uh, concluded falsely. Let's just make the point. So, um, so in this, I thought some points would be in order. So that, here we go. First, there is no proper worship and prayer to God unless you are praying to the Father and according to his plan. So this is... So when we talk about God the Father, you could say you're worshiping God the Father, but really, unless you understand the Father's eternal purpose. Now, of course, um, even if you don't know the eternal purpose, you have to believe that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, of course, the evidence is overwhelming. It's not just like, well, maybe him and Muhammad just see... You know, I'm, I'm lifting my hands up and down thinking, well, this is Muhammad, Jesus. Okay, Jesus, you just won by a nose. No, no. Not even close. In fact, Muhammad is not even in the running here. I, I'm not picking on Muslims. But my point is, Jesus stands above, way, not even head and shoulders. He's not even in the category of any human being. Just think about all the works that he did, all the miracles, signs, and wonders that the Father testified to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. He's the one. Believe in him. And so everybody should know without question that Jesus is according to the Father's plan. This, If you miss this, you have missed an abundance of information. You have rejected the Father's, not only his plan of salvation, but you have rejected the Father's eternal purpose, which is the closest thing to the Father's heart. This is where Jesus and the Father had that in intimacy in the plan before time began, where they were sitting around, uh, I could say having coffee, thinking about what they were going to do. And this is where the Father had the idea to bring many sons into glory, of which we are those sons. He knew us. He planned. He says, well, if we execute this plan, there's going to be a person called Douglas Presley. We're going to, uh, he's going to be a part of uh, this plan. I am choosing him. It is my choice to choose him. And you can replace your own name in there if you're saved in this age. Yes, that happened. You were mentioned before the universe was created. You were brought up. So a couple thoughts here. Uh, and I'm, I'm making a bold statement here by saying this. First, there is no proper worship and prayer to God unless you are praying to the Father and according to his plan. If you're not, then I want to read some verses. Uh, John eight forty four. Here is one. Uh, and I, I see we're going to have to break this up in a couple parts because there's a lot to talk about so I want to want I don't want to uh, be short when it comes to some of the things to discuss let's just take our time so John 8:44 says and he's Jesus is in a uh, a fight with these Pharisees 
And this is what he says. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when you, so the Jews thought they were worshiping God. In fact, this is, I mean, if you see this developed, uh, you, you would see, start from verse 39. Let's just see the whole thing develop. We're going to take our time with this. So this is what they claimed. Abraham is our father, they answered. If, and Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. And they already put, you know, the thought out that they should kill Christ. And it says, a man, Christ sees himself, notice, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. You are not, uh, this is what they say, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. So, so in a, in a, back to my point, I'm saying there's no proper worship and prayer to God unless you are praying to the Father and according to his plan. If you are not praying to the Father and according to his plan, this is true of you. Right? Just the words of Jesus, the harsh, as harsh as they may sound, you are not. He says, if God were your Father, you would love me. This is verse 42. For I have come here from God, and I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. Now, they were walking around talking about we're children of Abraham and were worshiping the father. These were Jews, right? Just remember this. And Jesus is telling them, no, no, you are from your father, the devil, because you hate me. So it is obviously clear to me that you are not worshiping the Father. Um, and it goes on. And you should read this. Uh, and just to understand why it's important that the Father's plan is at center stage here. And then, so, so notice how they hated the Father's eternal purpose and his plan. But when you go to Ephesians 3, 8 through 11, you see how the church is involved and how important the Father has revealed this information. Now, I wouldn't say the Jews should have known all of this information that we read in Ephesians 3, 8 through 11. But what they should have known is that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That was demonstrated overwhelmingly through the works of Jesus Christ, doing the Father's will, the uh, all the things that the signs and wonders and miracles test, attest to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. So in this, he says, um, eight, although I am less than the least of, the, of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. So notice that the Gentiles are covered here. But not just the Gentiles. And verse 9, and to make plain to everyone, that's including all, everyone, Jews and Gentiles, the administration of this mystery. And that refers back to 
Surely you have heard of uh, the administration God has given me to you. That is the mystery that goes back to verse 2 and 3. No, made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. So we're, we're back in verse 9, right? The administration, that means how God is ruling over his household in, in executing this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So notice there is that phrase about creation again. And look at the mystery, kept hidden in God who created it. couldn't be hidden in God if God didn't plan it. So we're talking about the Father's plan was kept hidden in God, even though he executed the creation of all things. He didn't, he didn't reveal it, but this was there, chronologically speaking. Before creation of all things, this information happened. His intent, in other words, what he wanted to do in all of this, what was really in his heart, was that now, Right through the church. In other words, the church did not exist in in Israel, but it, now Christ says, "On this rock, I will build my church." He did it. He built the church using God, the Holy Spirit's, the ministries, the gifts that were provided to us through those five ministries. Right through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So, so the church, uh, we are heavenly people. So not only does the church reach out to those on the ground, Jews and Gentiles, but it stretches all the way into the heavenly realms where angels reside and uh, it, or is the abode of angels. So we are heavenly beings now. We have a place in God's uh, real estate. Right, we do. We are heavenly beings, and uh, it's according verse eleven to his eternal purpose, which uh, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God worked not only through the redemption plan using Christ, but also that Christ would, through him, he would bring many sons into glory. Or, or another way of saying it in Romans eight twenty nine. Uh, we were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So all of that is language to speak of this eternal plan that is so important. Right? It's according. So if people don't understand what the Father did in Christ, if they miss this, then they they could be worshiping God all right, but... Uh, they are not worshiping the true God. And Jesus is saying uh, that they may know you, the only true God. We're going to stop at this point. We'll pick up next week. There's a lot of notes you could possibly see where I'm going, uh, what we're going to talk about. But there's much more that uh, we're, we're going to discuss next week. We can't rush and try to finish it all in one uh hour. So let's take our time and enjoy what we, what God is giving us in Jesus's perspective in this prayer. It, to me, it is not only richness, but it is rewarding to our souls, our spirits. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We are privileged. 
not much more we can say but thank you and we want to honor you through uh, the appreciation that we have for all that you are to us and all that you have accomplished on our behalf and we realize that we can't pay you back or earn our way uh, but we are just thankful and we just want to show you that not only that we're thankful, but we love you. We, we want to commit our lives to this glorious gospel. And not only that, to bringing many sons into glory. The same thoughts that are on your mind, Father, are on, are on our minds. We want to be ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. So we thank you for those who are out there listening and hear these words and if they resonate with them and they understand from eternity past what God has done in time. We thank you for them, we think, and we pray that the, the message will continue to echo and, and resonate with all those who are in the church and that we might have a spirit to go out and be mission-oriented, to find those who are lost in this world, who have that humility, that towards you and want to come to you and, and to receive eternal life. We thank you so much for such a privilege to, to be ambassadors, that we have a share in the work. So all of this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.